you're blessed now. As we turn again to your word. And uh, Father, teach us this morning. Maybe there'll be something that we'll learn this morning. Um, but maybe everything we'll hear will be, will be uh, something we've already heard, something we already knew. But um, may it be fresh for us. May it point our hearts and our minds, our strength, our bodies, Lord, to, to just serving you better. And especially tonight and tomorrow, may we really spend this time celebrating the birth of our Savior. Lord, bless now and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a message this morning that uh, I, I did it in devotion form at one of our candlelight services a few years ago, but I've kind of ex- expanded it a little bit and then uh, tying it in with communion this morning. But it's a, a message titled Christmas Bread. Christmas Bread. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But I want to read in Matthew chapter 2. Uh, just, I want to read about 12 verses here. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their, tre- their treasures, they presented him uh, gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then they divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod. They departed for their own country another way. Now, we all know the story of Bethlehem and, and, and what happened there. We know that story. But of all the cities and all the towns and all the villages in Palestine, and for the whole world for that matter, why did God choose such a tiny obscure, unheard of village as Bethlehem. It'd be like coming to Florida. Some dignitary is going to come to Florida and they pick Geneva over, over you know, little Geneva. Why, why little Geneva? Most people, you know, I told you all the first time I was, I was asked to come down and preach, I had to get the map out. I had to pull my, my phone out and go, where in the world is Geneva? And I'd, I'd not heard of it in the area. So we're kind of like Bethlehem. We can relate a little bit here. We're, we're a small little community, an unheard of village. But why is it that Bethlehem was chosen for the birth of the Son of God? If a site selection committee had been formed, little Bethlehem probably wouldn't have made the list as they were putting everything together. There are a multitude of reasons to favor other locations. For example, the city of Hebron played an important role in the beginning of of Hebrew history. Abraham and Jacob and Joseph and later David all were associated with Hebron. Jerusalem is an even more logical choice. Jerusalem is mentioned 611 times in the Old Testament. Very prominent city. If, you're going to, if, the, if the king of kings is going to be born somewhere, surely it would be Jerusalem. 
for centuries from the day David captured Jerusalem uh, from the Jebusites, it was his city. Jerusalem was the center of religious and civil life in Israel. Solomon's temple was there and, and the royal palace was as well. Our site selection committee would, would have been hard-pressed to find reasons to deny, to, to deny Jerusalem um, for the honor of welcoming the king, but Jerusalem didn't make the cut. Then there's Nazareth. This is a logical favorite because it was the home of Mary and Joseph and was certainly uh, would have been more convenient. It would have been more convenient for everyone involved. Life could go on as usual for Joseph and Mary, and Jesus, Jesus could have been surrounded by relatives and, and good neighbors to, to help care for him. And then there's no interruption in the daily routine of life. Things just could have continued. Baby would have been born, and life would have just been great. But it wasn't Hebron. It wasn't Jerusalem, it wasn't Nazareth, it was Bethlehem. But why Bethlehem? The, the ancient prophet in Micah in, in chapter 5 verse 2 says, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. For whatever reasons, Bethlehem never rose to a position of prominence in its entire history, Two events do stand out in its history, though. David, Israel's great king, was born, and he grew up there in, in, uh, in Bethlehem. And before that, the most beautiful, uh, a, very, a very beautiful love story, the story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, that takes place in the book of Ruth, took place there. But for the most part, people came and went to Bethlehem with no sense of the destiny of, of that city of Bethlehem. This notion of obscurity is captured by a verse from one of, uh, you know, one of our favorite songs that we sing during the Christmas time, O Little Town of Bethlehem. I've actually got the words I was going to sing, but I don't know if it's a wise thing to try to sing it this morning. Y'all can help me though, right? Let's, let's sing this. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears all the years are met in thee. Tonight, that song captures that thought of the obscurity and, and just lying there deep and dreamless sleep that it was in. Bethlehem had lain still in a deep and dreamless sleep for nearly 2,000 years before shepherds came seeking a babe lying in a manger or wise men from the east were led by a star and bowed to the toddler king. Why wake it now? Why at this time? Well, let's look at the name. The name of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a Hebrew word, and it's made up of really of two words, bet and bet and lehem. And it literally means, some of you already know this, but Bethlehem literally means house of bread. It means the house of bread. And I think it's, there's three significant reasons that we want to look at this morning of why Bethlehem may have been chosen. Number one, Christ was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, to identify with the common man. Jesus wasn't born in the house of royalty. 
He wasn't born in the house of riches. He wasn't born in the house of celebrity. Jesus wasn't born in Jerusalem or in Rome or in Athens or in Alexandria. Jesus was not born in any political, commercial, cultural, educational, or socially significant city of the day. When Micah foretold the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, he emphasized its insignificance in the world, and we just read that. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, Bethlehem, there was nothing special about it, but Bethlehem meaning the house of bread. Now, bread is, is one of life's most common things, amen? I mean, it's, we have bread with most every meal here. If you travel the world, you'll find that it is the most common thing throughout all of the world. And, and so bread is, is one of life's most common things, and God wanted his son available, listen, to everyone, not just to the elites, not just to the famous or the rich or the popular, but to everyone. His birth was announced to the shepherds, the very, really the most common of people of that day. But it was not announced to King Herod. His cradle was a manger. Now, that's an animal feeding trough in a lowly stable. And most likely, it was not, as we think of it, as a, a wooden manger that hay would have been piled in, but it would have been carved out of stone. Most likely, the, the stable was actually a cave. And this might have been actually carved out of stone in the, maybe a wall, one of the walls that would have been carved out. So the manger was, was this feeding trough that was carved out of stone, and it would have been cold and hard and simple. So you don't have to be rich to know Jesus. You don't have to be well-known or popular or connected to know Jesus. But folks, I tell you this morning, you, you must know Jesus. You must know Jesus. If, if there's any hope for eternal life, it is only in a personal relationship with Jesus. So Jesus came to Bethlehem, the most common of all these cities, to show that he is available to everyone. There's nothing unique and you, you don't have to be a special person. The, the, the most common person can come to him. The second thing is that Christ was born in Bethlehem to satisfy our spiritual hunger. John 6.32 says, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. What a great statement that he made. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Bread is a good comparison of our Lord because he satisfies, he gratifies, he strengthens us spiritually just as bread does physically. Bread is a staple of life. It's found the world over, and it's a primary food source. It gives and sustains life. And, and, and I was thinking this morning, even as I was reading this again, I thought the bread of life, he didn't come as, Jesus could have said anything there, but he didn't say, I am the caviar of life. He didn't say, I'm the filet mignon of life. He didn't pick some extravagant thing or something that was unattainable. He picked the most attainable thing, the most useful thing that was available to everyone, and that was simply bread. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Glory to God. Billions today are eating at the wrong table. 
Isaiah 55, 2 says, Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Now, it's easy to get caught up in searching for meaning in life from the wrong things because there's a lot of things that will bring temporary happiness. They can't bring lasting happiness. They can't bring true joy and peace with God. Only Christ satisfies the eternal need of the human spirit. Christ is all the soul of man needs for spiritual satisfaction. Hear that. Christ is all the soul of man needs for spiritual satisfaction and all that will satisfy. The world around us is looking in every place, in everything, in every way for something that will satisfy the longing of their soul. And they reject the one thing that will satisfy God Almighty through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. No matter how insignificant we may seem to ourselves or to the world around us, Christ came for us, the simple, the lowly, just sinful man. And lastly, the third thing is this. Christ was born in Bethlehem to show us that each of us must choose him as Savior personally. Now, here's interesting. If If Gina's hungry and she says, hey, what are we going to do for dinner tonight? I'm, I'm hungry. And I go in and fix a sandwich, and I sit down and eat my sandwich. Does that satisfy her hunger? doesn't, right? So, so the point of this is, you know, if, you know, if I eat a meal, it doesn't satisfy a single other person's hunger. So we must, our hunger individually must be filled. 1 Corinthians 10, 17 for, for we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Now that one bread spoken of there is Christ. And we take, we take of Christ. He is the only bread that offers life, and the de- decision to receive him is an individual one. And he invites each of us to partake in his presence today. We must individually partake of Christ I can't rest on my parents' relationship with Christ or my grandparents' relationship with Christ. Well, you don't understand. My daddy was a preacher. My grandfather was a missionary. You know, my, my uncle was a deacon. My, 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 my great uncle was, you know, he, he helped build this church. That's all great. They did great things. But it has nothing to do with your walk with Christ. They could be the closest people in the world. Your granddaddy could be Billy Graham. But it has nothing to do with your walk with Christ. Your walk with Christ is a personal walk. And regardless of how well anyone else in the sanctuary is eating of that bread that is Christ, and they're fellowshipping with him in that bread, if you do not have a personal relationship with him yourself, then your soul will never be satisfied. And you'll have no relationship with Christ. And you won't be able to spend eternity with him in heaven. And the question is not, have you become a church member or have you been baptized or have you given to charities? The question is, have you made a personal faith commitment to Jesus Christ? Have you repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus to receive eternal life? John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. It's not that, you know, there are many today that'll sit in church 
And they believed that there was a baby born years ago in Bethlehem, and, and they called him Jesus. They might even believe that he was sinless. They might even believe he went and died on the cross. But if they don't believe in him with faith, if they do not place their faith in him, well, preacher, what's the difference? Well, the difference is about 18 inches. It's the difference between head knowledge of who Jesus is and a heart knowledge of who Jesus is. If you come in my office, if you want to come back in my office sometime and, and on the wall in front of my desk, there's a... There's a um, there's a, a jersey that's hung up. Some guys got together and gave it to me when I was leaving Indiana. But it's a Herschel Walker game jersey, and it's autographed by Herschel. And, you know, it was a time where Herschel, as a child, I was 12 years old at the time, when he was at Georgia when we first got there, Herschel was my childhood hero, Herschel Walker, man. I could tell you everything about Herschel. I could give you his stats. I could tell you how many rushing yards, how many carries, how many touchdowns he had. I could tell you he won the Heisman. I could tell you after that, he went and he was on a bobsled team. He went and played for the, the Dallas Cowboys. He played for the Vikings. He played for the Philadelphia Eagles. He's done ballet. I don't understand that, but he's done ballet. He wasn't as big a hero at that point in that chapter in his life. But he did, I'm kidding. But he did ballet. Then he did MMA at 50 years old. Herschel Walker did MMA. And he talked about coming back and going to the NFL. And a lot of people around him, if you saw him, would say, he could probably make it. I can tell you a lot about Herschel. I know Herschel Walker. But if Herschel Walker walked through that door right there and I went over and said, Herschel, how you doing? He'd go, whoa, crazy guy, back off. I said, well, Herschel, it's me. And he'd go, man, I don't know you. Who are you? Folks, you can know everything about God. You can know everything about Jesus Christ. But until you have met him personally, you've personally met him, you've acknowledged your sin, you've turned from your sin to him, acknowledging that he is the only way to be saved. It's only through Jesus Christ. When we do that, we have that heart knowledge. We believe that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says, then you shall be saved. Do you know him today? I hope you know him today. Man worries so much about the bread that he eats to live, and yet he still dies. While starving spiritually because he will not, or he does not, eat of the, that bread that will allow him to live forever. Even those who have eaten this bread, uh, miss the abundant goodness that it would bring to them because they eat it sparingly and inconsistent. Folks, the bread of life is available to us all the time. When we come into a relationship with him, then we have eternal life. But boy, if we'll eat of that bread every day, it brings nourishment. And sometimes believers, we get away from his word. We're not eating of that bread of life. We get away from our quiet time with him. We are not eating of that bread of life. We're not praying and spending time with him in that way. And, and we are not eating of that bread of life. And we become anemic because we're not eating of the bread of life. That's not to say we don't have salvation, but we don't have the relationship that we could have. We don't have the strength that we could have as we draw close to him. And I encourage you today that you would do that. Your relationship with Christ is personal. You have to have a personal relationship with him in order to have eternal life. 
But even as a believer, you need to be eating of that bread daily. It's personal. Y'all forgive me. Now we're going to transition here because we have communion this morning. And we've looked at Bethlehem. We've talked about why maybe Bethlehem. It's interesting that the bread of life was born in the house of bread. That's not, that's not an accident. That's not just, you know, some preacher didn't come up with that and go, hey, man, this is cool. And God went, wow, I've never seen that. It ever occurred to you that nothing's ever occurred to him? So we're going to transition. We're going to go from the stable, the stable and the manger, to the table. We're going to look at communion this morning. Luke 22, we, we see here in Luke the account of the last meal. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Now, not long after Christmas, just a few months, and we'll, and we'll be celebrating Resurrection Sunday. And so that reminds us this morning, it's interesting, the songs that we've sung, Tim's song, uh, what we, we're talking about, really, the story of Christmas is not just the birth of a, a baby in a manger. It's the birth of a Savior who will live sinlessly, who will die on a cross, will be buried, and will rise again. That's the story of Christmas. That's the story. And so we're reminded this morning that Christ was born to die. His death wasn't an accident. Wasn't, maybe, it, maybe it was a tragedy, but it, it wasn't. It wasn't. It, it, it was exactly what he intended it to be. But he was born for the very purpose to die. Lying in the manger within a stable, wrapped in swaddling clothes, is the first gift of Christmas. Over the next 33 years, much will happen, leading from the stable to the table upon which the Last Supper was served. On the front of the communion table, and we see it this morning on, on the cloth down there, it usually will read, we'll find the words that says, This do in remembrance of me. So when we come to observe this ordinance, it should be a time of remembrance of the, 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 the difference that Christ has made, past, present, and future. So we're going to look at that. We're going to look at Christmas this morning real briefly in, in three tenses, Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. Christmas past, when we think about that, we remember the Lord's death. John 19, verse 30 says, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished, and bowed his head, he, he, bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Hebrews 10.10, 10, by, that, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See, Jesus died for us. And that's when we come to communion, that we remember that. We remember his death. We will remember his body and the blood, but we were remembering his death. And it's because of something in the past. Jesus' death was made possible by his birth, 
Jesus had not been born of a born of as a man. He had not been born of uh, of a virgin and 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 been born here on earth. And his death would not have been possible. So his death was made possible by the very fact that he came and became a man. He didn't just appear to look like a man. He came and was born of a man. And Jesus was one hundred percent man. He was one hundred percent God. And so his death, the fact that God could die in that way was made possible by the fact that he was born that way as a man. Matthew 1.23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. John 1.14, And the word became flesh. The word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There's something special about babies, amen? I mean, they're, they're, they're just precious, and they're perfect, and they're innocent, and they're serene, and their skin is so soft, and, and that smell. You know the smell I'm talking about, right? The, the baby, not the other smell, the baby smell. The baby smell. That smell, because babies have two smells, but that baby smell, there's something about newborn babies, that smell of a newborn child. They're just, it's just a sweet, sweet smell. Mary's little lamb was the first truly spotless lamb, sinless, perfect. The Old Testament centered on the sacrifice of unblemished lambs, and Jesus was to be the once and for all lamb. He was God's gift for our redemption. Then his death was made, not only was his death made possible by his birth, but his death was made meaningful by his resurrection. And I've said this before, if Jesus doesn't walk out of that tomb, we're not, we're not here today. We're not remembering Christmas. We're not celebrating his birth because it was simply the fact that he rose from the dead. It proved he was who he said he was. History would have forgotten Jesus already. If, if he had not come out of that grave alive. His death was made meaningful by his resurrection. It was Christmas past when that tiny gift was presented to the world. Perfect was that lamb, living the life sinless man could not live. Christ lived sinlessly. He impacted lives deeply. He showed that he was the Son of God without question. He went to the cross of Calvary and died for sinful man, for sinful me and for sinful you. His body was beaten and broken for us. He was tortured and humiliated. His precious, sinless blood was shed, and he died. But he did not stay dead. He rose from the dead and walked out of that tomb, and he, so he went from birth to life to death and then breath. Amen. Amen. Of, of all the scenes in history, of all the things that you could witness, I'm not sure that that wouldn't be what I would want to see. If I could be in the tomb when he drew life back. All the things. You think about the, 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 the men in the... the, 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 the uh, I'm struggling. We think about those the Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. We think about Moses parting the Red Sea. I mean, there's a lot of things that would be neat to see. But to be there, when he drew that breath and took life back. I mean, I'd never thought of that till just then. But I, I got cold chills. The thought of that. 
to witness that as he drew breath and proved he was who he said he was. And everything he had promised was true and he would do. He conquered death and hell and the grave. And so his gift continues giving to us eternally. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. So what we'll do this morning, we're doing in remembrance of his broken body and his blood that was shed for us. That's Christmas past. Christmas present, we remember the Lord's presence. It's not the things that's wrapped and put under the tree, but his presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, his presence with us today. The word communion is an action word. It means fellowship, participate in, share together, have in common. This observance is not simply keeping a dead memory alive. We're not here today to remember this man that died 2,000 years ago and his bones are still in a grave. We're not doing that. It's, it's entering into the presence of one who lived and died, was raised from the dead by the power of God, and is alive forevermore. That's whose presence we're in today. Above all that, he is present with us always as in pres- and is present here and now at this table. He's present with us here today, folks. And let me say this. Christmas should be much more about this table here than it is yonder stable there. Christmas is much more about what Jesus did for us on the cross than what he did by being born in the manger. Now, if he wasn't born, he didn't go to the cross. But the reason he went to the cross, the reason he was born in the manger was so he could go to the cross. We have to keep in perspective why he did what he did and, and, and the importance of all this. Jesus wanted to have communion with his disciples. He wanted them to think often of him. He wanted them to walk as he walked, and he wanted us to as well. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, for, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. He left us uh, here to continue his work and legacy, and he promised in John 14, 12, that most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Folks, we are part of the fellowship of the gospel. And we, we, we get the blessing of, of walking a life in Christ today. If you're a born-again believer, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside you. You have the presence of God living inside you. And so every, right now, He is here with us. Amen. I hear people go, you know, church, church isn't such a big deal. Man, some of you'd kill yourselves to go see Donald Trump at a rally. That'd be the ultimate. But God Almighty is present with us here today. Amen. And every Sunday morning when we gather, God is here. Amen. Is this a big deal? Yes. yes, this is a big deal. Coming together, we fellowship together in His presence. It's not that we're just remembering a God that's aloof and off somewhere in, in eternity. He's here with us. We should never lose sight of that. People go, you know, Sunday morning is not that big a deal. Sunday morning is a huge deal. We preached a message. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to the message I preached months ago on the Lord's Day. It wasn't something man made up. God said, that's my day. The Lord's Day. Sunday. It's not even Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. It's my day. It is important. Folks, we're a part of the fellowship of the gospel. 
And we get the joy of if, if I'm born again, having the Holy Spirit within me. But now I get to go out and I get to do what Jesus did. I get to share the truth of who he is and what he did. And I can't save anybody and I can't bring new life to them, but I can introduce them to the one who can. And that's our job. We should do that. Folks, this morning when we sit here and we take part in the Lord's table, it's as if we were present with Jesus during that final meal. Most certainly, he's here with us. At the Lord's table, we remember the high cost of our salvation. There's a high cost to salvation. Today, we've got this, uh, maybe Bonhoeffer made it, made it a popular saying uh, because he coined it maybe about cheap grace. And people like a grace that, that saves me, but I don't have to do anything different. You know, it saved me, but I don't have to change my life at all. I don't have to really, I mean, all I got to do is just speak a few words, and now I'm going to heaven. If you've got that kind of grace, folks, you've got no grace at all. Because the grace that saves was a costly grace. It cost Jesus everything. While it's free for us, it ain't, there's nothing cheap about the grace and the cost of our salvation. It doesn't cost us anything. We simply have to acknowledge our need and respond to that and, and by, by faith trust in Christ. But folks, 2,000 years ago, it cost, it cost our Savior everything. He gave everything. He gave his body to be beaten, to be broken, to be spit upon, his beard to be plucked. They mocked him and slapped him. They beat him with a cat of nine tails that ripped his flesh. His blood poured from his body. So his body was beaten and broken, and his life's blood was shed from his body. And he died for us. Hebrews 10, 28 and 29 says, Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counting the blood of the covenant by which he has sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. Folks, there are people all over the country today. There are people sitting in church who are trampling over the Son of God, who are trampling over and, and making light of the blood that was shed because they mock it in that it is not a big deal. It's not an important thing. It's a very important thing. As we consider the presence, have you considered what you'll do for, for uh, Christmas, you know, what will be your Christmas present for the one whose birth this is all about? What's your gift to him going to be this year? Will he get your best? Will you give him the most? Will your thoughts be on him this Christmas? Or will Jesus just be an afterthought in our Christmas? I really challenged our kids at Bible Club last week about, about what Christmas is about. And I told them this. I said, I said, think of it this way. So what if you went to a birthday party? So a friend of yours, you went to his birthday party. And at the birthday party, everybody at the party got a present except your friend whose birthday it was. 
And the kids went. That would be weird. I said, and yet that's what Christmas in America has become. It's a party for everybody else. Is it really about Jesus? Because it should be. Christmas future. And so another thing that we remember as we come to the Lord's table, not only the past, what Jesus did for us, the presence, what he wants us to do today, how he wants us to live our lives today, and the fact that he is present in our life. But then in the future, it's that we remember his soon uh, return. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain. Now I'm getting excited here because I'm believing I'm going to be alive and remain when he comes. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet uh, the Lord in the air. Maranatha. That's what Christmas is all about. It's salvation. And it's the hope we have as believers of his return. Maranatha. He is coming. The Lord's coming. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26. Uh, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. He said it way back then. We're remembering his death. We're celebrating his presence, and we're thinking and looking toward his return. Did three words ever say more? Till he comes. Jesus spoke of his coming kingdom. He who came into the world will take us out of the world before the coming judgment. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are to remember the promise of his return. The Lord's Supper wasn't really the last, for the next supper is the marriage supper of the Lamb, and the table is already being set. In Revelation 19, verses 10, uh, 7 through 10, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to, hear it was, uh, to, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb, And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet and worshiped him. But he said to me, see that you do not that, do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So as we think of the three tenses of Christmas, past, present, and future, let us be sure to remember that our past is forgiven and forgotten. Or at least let me say this, it can be. If you are a born-again believer, then your past is, is forgiven and forgotten. The Lord doesn't go back and fish it up out of the pond of, of remembrance and go, hey, hey, you remember this? Nope, when he forgives it, it's done. This morning, if your sin's never been forgiven, folks, it can be forgiven and it can be forgotten. And you say, well, preacher, you don't know what I've done. No, but God knows what you've done. And there's nothing that you've done that he can't forgive. Let me just say that. Point blank. Exclamation mark on that. There's nothing you've done. The only sin he will not forgive is the sin of you rejecting his son Jesus. Our present 
is this gift of life that cannot be purchased, but rather was purchased for us. The life you have today, man, you're a purchased soul. You've been bought with a price. And it was the price of Christ giving his life and shedding his blood. And if you're born again, your life you live is his. And man, what a great way to live that life. Amen? Amen. And our future is secure. We know what the back of the book says. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 continues and says, And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I don't know of more comforting words than knowing the Lord's coming back and we're going to spend all eternity with him. Amen? I don't care how bad it gets here. I don't care. People want to debate whether we'll be here or not. You know, what point is the rapture? I don't care. Whatever we go through, God's going to go through it with us. And he's going to take us out of here before the final judgment. And we're going to go and we're going to sup with him at that, that marriage supper of the Lamb. And we're going to spend all eternity with him. And, and, and praise God. Amen? Amen. That's, that's the truth of it. If Jesus is your Savior. Now I'm going to ask the deacons to come and, and take a seat down front here as we prepare to receive the, the uh, Lord's Supper this morning. Now, as we approach the, and Jim and uh, Aaron, I don't know, we're going we're to apply, I don't know, I think it's just you two. Is it just you? Okay. So as we approach the Lord's table, let us do so as, as, as we would, we would approach our own table. And in that, we would give thanks. So this morning, we want to give thanks for the stable where it all started. We want to thank the Lord for his sinless life and then for his body that was broken for us and, and the blood that was shed for us. He who was born to die didn't stop there. He, he, he died that we might have life, and he rose to make it all possible. And so what I want to do is, is right now, it's, it, it's important before we take communion um, that we be right with the Lord. There's, there should always be a time of preparation. And for you, that may be a time of confession this morning. Maybe there's something that stands between you and the Lord. Maybe there's something that you need to confess to him and, and repent of and receive that cleansing and forgiveness. And so the, these steps are not steps this morning. These steps are, are an altar. There's a place you can come and pray. You can pray where you are, but if you feel led, feel free. Nobody's looking at you going, I can't believe you're going there. Who cares? And if that's what they're thinking, they need to be down here praying. Amen? This is time to, to, to pray and reflect. But don't take of the Lord's Supper unworthily. And I would say this, if you're not a believer, you should not take of the cup this morning. You need to let that pass. Because if you take of the cup and you're not a believer, you're taking of the cup unworthily, and the blood unworthily. The Scriptures say there were some who were sick, and there were some who were dead because they did that. So it's a very serious thing. Now, parents, I just caution you with your children when we serve this in a little bit. If your children have come to a place of of saving faith, they've acknowledged, professed that, then, and, and they want to take part in communion, that's, you, you lead that with them. But this isn't snack time. This is a very, very, very serious, one of the most serious things we do in church as we remember the Lord's body that was broken and his blood that was shed. So we're going to have a song here for a moment, and um, um, this is time for you to prepare your hearts for communion. And uh, maybe just to respond to something maybe you heard this morning that the Lord's working on you about. Father, I just ask that you bless right now as we have this time of, of reflection, of invitation. It's time of preparation. So, Lord, we're about to receive of the cup and of the bread that represents your body and your blood. We thank you for coming, being born in that manger. So we remember your birth, Lord. 2,000 years ago, we remember today, Lord, what you, you did in entering your creation. 
But it wasn't about being born in a manger. It was about going to a cross and dying for our sin. And we thank you for that. But the journey there was not easy. It was not easy for you. It was difficult. It was painful. It was hard. It cost you everything. May we reflect on that right now. The price you paid for our salvation. The price that we should have taken and yet we could not pay. You took it not deserving it. You took our punishment. And you did that because you loved us. And we praise you for that. May we, may we just dwell on that now and deal with whatever Lord needs to be dealt with in our hearts. Lord, just move now and we'll thank you in Jesus' name.